Hello folks, you're listening to Revenge of the Drive-In, the podcast where we talk about two drive-in movies and discuss whether or not this makes for a good drive-in double feature. We're brought to you by the good folks at Grandma Sophia's Cookies and as part of the Grandma Sophia's Podcast Network. And I am your host, Patrick, and I'm joined this time by... Hello, everybody. It's me, Jim. Yep, it's Jim. It's uh, It's been a while since you and I have recorded, not necessarily been a while since you and I have done our last episode based on when these are going to be released, but at any rate, it's been a while. <laughs> yes, yes. And this time, we are talking about King Kong, the original 1933 film, as well as Robinson Crusoe on Mars, a movie that I fear I may have hyped up a bit too much. Well, you know, I was actually going to say, ironically, we're talking about two movies where we have primates that are the stars of both movies. That's right. At the end of the last episode, I got to apologize. I thought it was, I remembered it being a chimpanzee. It's not. It's a monkey in Robinson Crusoe on Mars. So it's not you an know, ape. <laughs> you know what the monkey's name is? A real, like the monkey's quote unquote real name? Is it Shockma? <laughs> no. It's Barney the Wooly Monkey. Okay. So he's British. And, yeah. And Doesn't Barney, that sound like a British name? It does, yeah. The Wooly Monkey. Yeah, <laughs> man, maybe he was. Or like maybe he was a British cheeky monkey. monkey. Call him Cheeky Monkey. Quick note here, quick uh, quick fact number one, uh, even though we're not going to get to uh, Robinson Crusoe on Mars yet, Barney's a boy monkey, go figure, and he had to play a lady monkey named Mona. That's so range. the whole shoot, he had to wear a fur diaper that oh, covered his no. goods. <laughs> yeah, which might be... Why not just make him male? I know, I know, which <laughs> might be why he was screaming a lot in the movie. I don't know. Yeah, well, you know you know what the actor that played Kong's real name was? Ugh, what? It was Willis O'Brien, the, the special effects master that created <laughs> these beautiful models. Oh, I thought you were going to make some stupid joke. <laughs> I couldn't think of one. I was I was hoping to. It just didn't come to me fast oh. enough. <laughs> I'll allow it. I'll forgive it. Anyways, King Kong is a movie that I grew up with. I loved this movie as a kid. My brother loved it even more. My brother was a big primate guy. I was more reptiles, snakes dinosaurs this is one of the few movies it's basically this and a few of the godzilla movies that i've actually seen in two languages because my grandfather used to always like tape movies from television and so he would just like without like reading what channel it was on it's like oh this movie's showing let me tape it and he taped the king kong off a spanish channel at one point so (laughs) so i have seen a spanish dub version of this at one point that's great (laughs) but yeah watching it in english again you know and Brought back some memories. Yeah, well, the first time I watched King Kong, it was with my dad in 2006. It was on television, and uh, it was Halloween night. And okay. uh, we watched 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, okay. and then immediately right after came King Kong. Yeah, that's it. That's nothing exciting or special, but that's uh, that's what I remember. It was in English, I take it. Or it was, it was, was it in, in French? Was it a French dub? Was oh, it one yeah. Of those <laughs> Quebec channels. Those darn French Canadians. <laughs> yeah, so the movie King Kong begins with an arabian proverb the one about beauty and the beast and this movie hammers that beauty and the beast stuff home really hard it's actually a little annoying if you ask (laughs) me it's like i get it it's like the theme of the movie but we don't have to be reminded of it this often but so we meet the character of carl denham who's played by robert armstrong or as you see on old posters it'll be r-o-b apostrophe t 
Armstrong, you know, back in the days when that was like an acceptable <laughs> abbreviation. Get out of here. <laughs> I, I, I love that. Look it up. Look it up. Uh, it's also <laughs> worth looking up the poster to uh, Robinson Crusoe on Mars because I believe that movie proclaims itself to be 100% scientifically accurate or something, which is just funny. Oh, yeah. Like, what hilarious. movie would claim that? Well, what's even funnier is that, like, a couple of years after. I mean, Probably within the decade after that movie came out, they totally knew what Mars' surface was like, you know? <laughs> okay. And, and I, uh, that you can't it. just walk around without your helmet on? Yeah, and, and there's no stuff. blazing fires just popping up from the surface of Mars. <laughs> hey, that, that's cool stuff. But yeah, anyways, Carl Denham is a film director or a film producer. He's that guy. He's, uh, he's known for making adventure pictures, and he's all set to make a new movie on some ship you know, at some island that the ship is going to go off to, but he's being very secretive about it, so he cannot get a lead actress. He eventually finds one. He goes downtown to find one himself, and he stumbles upon this poor young woman named Anne Darrow, who is played by Faye Ray, and he meets her when she is stealing from, like, one of those corner market guys, and he defends her, and then they introduce themselves to each other, and he's like, hey, you want to make this movie with me? And she's like, she's thinking there's something not right about the situation <laughs> you know are you making those filthy pornos what are yeah, you doing yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> one of those filthy f- flip show pornos those uh yeah <laughs> those peep shows what is this a peep show one of those old west pornos <laughs> yeah, yeah those things that they watch in friday the 13th the final chapter one of those like old yeah, yeah. A stag yeah. films i think is what they're called but because carl denham is a name of repute she's familiar with him she's like okay yeah no we'll do this so they set sail and it's also revealed at one point that they have a bunch of bombs and, like, weaponry on board the ship. Because that's why they they take off before they are scheduled to, because they didn't want to get caught by the police with all those weapons on, which, you know, that's, that's fair. So we basically only have three important characters here, other than, obviously, the, the stupid ape. We'll get, to, we'll get to the ape, don't worry. <laughs> but we've got this other guy, Driscoll, Jack Driscoll. And this performance, this guy is, uh, what's his name, Bruce Cabot. Mm-hmm. I have mixed feelings on this performance. I think he's genuinely awful, but because he's so bad, it's actually, it makes it kind of fun and almost funny to me because everything he says, it sounds like he's saying it sarcastically and (laughs) he's given a lot of the, like the dialogue that's aged really badly about the like, oh, we can't have a woman on board the ship, but you know, he's given a lot of those kinds of lines. And when he delivers it in that way, it almost makes it sound like, the movie's aware of how dumb this is and it's not it's just like a weird coincidence <laughs> where the performance is that bad that it works in the 21st century because yeah. if you didn't know this this movie's from 1933 it you know it's a classic it's obviously a beloved film it's super influential but if you're looking for you know empowering representation of women or of other races you know this is not the movie for you i mean it's it's a movie from the 30s like it's it's got some issues when it comes to the women and the natives specifically well you know i was thinking well bad dinosaur representation too the t-rexes have uh, three fingers on on one hand like that's not a t-rex they get attacked by a brontosaurus and eaten by a brontosaurus well you know i mean it's a wild animal it's i mean yeah it wouldn't eat them but like i mean you know it's a wild animal it can attack like deer can just freak out and like (laughs) i mean you've seen tommy boy right i mean 
Yeah, I like how your go-to was deer, though. That's well, I mean, deer just could freak out. <laughs> yeah, well, they do. They a deer ran into my car once. We didn't hit it. It hit us. <laughs> but yeah, but Br- Brontosaurus. We got to throw this out there. At one point, was not a dinosaur because we realized it was a mistake that it was like a Brachiosaurus head on an Apatosaurus body, or maybe the other way around. Yeah. But now like I that. believe Brontosaurus is an official dinosaur again. I think we recognize that that other thing was a mistake. So it's confusing era for Brontosaurus. It's it's the Pluto of dinosaurs. <laughs> it's, it's, it's so, but I think I think he's accepted now. I think the Brontosaurus is back. Uh, you know, I at least accept them. I accept the Brontosaurus for who he is. <laughs> Eventually. Because the crew is getting a little uneasy, mainly Driscoll, who's like the first mate. Eventually, Denim has to reveal where they're going. They're going to Skull Island, where there's a legend of the Kong, or Kong, or whatever. Yeah, and he's basically just like, hey, listen, no Westerner has seen this guy. Like, we're going to go there. We're gonna, we don't know what we're looking for, but whatever we find is going to be fascinating because none of us have been there. And this is one of those things where it's like, even if you made this movie like 20 years later, it wouldn't really work, you know? This, this, or, or if the movie was set like 20 years later, this, this kind of like there's still unexplored areas of the world. I, I feel like that is completely gone now, right? Yeah, I mean, like this was the era when... I don't even think the first... It was, it was going away at this point, even, I think. But, I mean, you know, 1933. This was the era that, like, people were setting out to find those last far-flung corners of the world, those last exotic, dangerous places, you know? The ocean liner had really only been around for, what, like, 50 I years? Know. You know? I, Maybe yeah, 40 know. years? And on top of that, Yeah, the when, first... when did the U.S. visit Japan? It was, like, the 1850s uh, Yeah, it was the late 1880s. Or 1880s, sorry, it was, it was, okay. It was the late 18th century, anyway. Or, uh, damn it. Well, no, it wasn't. It was the late, 19th century. The late 19th century. Stop doing this. Uh, I know. I'm getting myself all confused. But, I mean, the first Trans-Pacific flight didn't even happen till the 30s, I think, right? Or, like, the late 20s, so. Probably. I mean, we see the planes they work with in this movie, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I also, I just want to point out, too, I really love the series of scenes where they talk about getting to the island or how they're going to find the island or, like, the, the mystery, the, the um, mm-hmm. all the mysterious stuff about the island. Yeah, it's covered in fog, like, always. There's kind of a Bermuda Triangle-type setup. I like, I think it's, uh, what's his name? Uh, what's the name of the captain? They, they just call him Skipper, right? Oh, yeah, I, I don't know if he really has a name, that guy, yeah. Yeah, because I think Denim's talking to him, and he's like, um... Do you know where we're going? Far out into the ocean. He goes, west of Sumatra? Oh, my yeah, Lord. Yeah, he mentioned like Sumatra, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're in kind of the, the region, I guess, where, you know, if you've read the Herman Melville novel, Moby Dick, this is kind of the part of the world where Queequeg is from, I think. Uh, he's from that, yeah. like, Indonesia part, you know, wherever, where, I think they say he's, I think he's from, like, Fiji. I don't think Fiji was called Fiji back then, but I think that's where Queequeg is from. Queequeg, one of the all-time great fictional characters. Great stuff. That book's amazing, man. Moby Dick. Yeah, yeah I... Oh, listen, this, this is a bit of a tangent, but... but Pat, oh, i got to learn how to speak. Patrick, if you helpful, want to yeah. get, like, a really nice copy of Moby Dick, look on uh, the Folio Society. They've got a beautiful okay. copy of it. Could you could you send gorgeous. me a picture of that? Yeah, yeah, for sure. A nice little, nice little dick pic? Oh, nice little dick pic. Yeah, yeah that's, that's, where was, that's where I was going with that. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, Moby Dick aside, um, let's let's hold the dick. Let's hold my dick, please, for a second. Uh, let's get back to Kong. So we've got... Yeah, so the, they're approaching the island. They see the island. They hear some drums. 
And eventually, like, an away team gets up, they take their little boats, their little lifeboat things, and they head over there. And it's enough people for the camera crew. It's the, the captain, and it's, you know, some guys with guns, and then it's Driscoll, Denim, and Anne. Mm-hmm. They stumble upon this native ceremony of some sort, where there there's people in, like, ape costumes, like, dancing around. They're getting ready to, we learn, because the captain communicates with them and can understand them. Fortunately, this <laughs> this society that has never seen a white man, you know, fortunately he knows their language because he, you know, he's a ship captain. He's been everywhere. They're they're preparing a sacrifice for the Kong, but the the tribal chief, like the the witch doctor, the, the mayor of the town, you know, whatever this guy is, <laughs> yeah, he, the alderman, yeah, um, he he <laughs> is fascinated with Anne, mm-hmm. and he's like, hey, we want Anne. How much for this? The golden, I think he says like golden haired or something. Yeah, and, yeah. And they're like, ah, oh, no, she's not for sale. But what if I give you six of our women? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. There's some bargaining that takes place. And so, um, okay, so the negotiations are off and Denim is planning on going back the next day and try trying again to make friends and be able to shoot a movie here. But in the middle of the night, uh, a bunch of natives come aboard the ship and kidnap Anne. Driscoll realizes they've been aboard because he finds like a oh no no he 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 finds I think Anne's necklace on the no Charlie finds uh oh Charlie's uh, the cook right yeah and he finds a Chinese guy bracelet yeah that's what it is on the edge of the boat yeah and then they realize they can't find Anne so they figure okay she's been taken Anne is now part of the sacrifice where they take her beyond this giant wall which is amazing. I love like all the stuff with this, this, you know, there's an impressive set here. It's a lot of it is miniatures too, eventually, obviously when we've got Kong involved, but this whole, this giant wall thing is awesome. I was looking up how they did some of the special effects and you know, when they roll up to the island in the, in the venture or on the venture and uh, they're looking at the village, that was hand painted on glass yeah i was gonna say there's like matte i don't know if they would have been called matte paintings yeah at this yeah time. it was like glass matte painting yeah there's definitely some of that i noticed that in in a few other scenes too yeah it's really impressive stuff really innovative stuff it is yeah it actually looks pretty like it, it still holds up relatively well all things considered pretty much i mean you know obviously we get to this movie obviously stop motion and stop motion is one of those things it never looks perfect Stop mm-hmm. motion does. It never, like, it always, it it's a little janky, it's a little weird, awkward, but there's something about stop motion. I will take, like, aged, dated stop motion over, like, dated CG any day. Like, ni- the 1998 Godzilla, just throwing a movie out there. Yes, yeah. You know, where it's, like, where it's, like, special effects that were, like, maybe decent for the time, but, but that's 25 years old now or something, you know? Like, really, really good CG from a while ago. Like, you know, Jurassic Park, like, still looks pretty good today. Yeah. Well, it's also, like, stuff like Jurassic Park, they mixed uh, yes, CG they, with actual yeah. physical props and effects. Right? Which is sort of the same thing here. We get some lovely Kong close-ups of his beautiful dumb ugly face and it's it's those shots when i was a kid were always very funny to me because kong's expression are just kind of stupid looking yeah it's, al- it's always it just like mouth agape yeah he's like and his hey. mouth, yeah, <laughs> yeah and, his, and his jaws just moving up and down <laughs> yeah yeah those are those are a little silly but i like that they mixed him in though you know just to well first of all you see there's a few times he shoves people in his mouth and that's that's awesome oh I mean, absolutely you know, 
<laughs> or like a giant fush, foot crushing somebody into the dirt. Oh, that's great. <laughs> great stuff, yeah. But you know, also, you, you mentioned this awesome looking wall, and it really does look awesome. Because yeah, I was watching this on Prime. They're putting up like facts, you know, uh, the, the uh, movie trivia. Sure. And um, I forget where the wall came from, but I caught that it was that the wall and the gate were destroyed in 39 for Gone with the Wind's Burning of Atlanta sequence. Oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> From one racist movie to another. <laughs> well, okay, hold on. Let, let's talk. Let's tackle the race thing. Because I was watching this. I was watching. And this or Gone with the Wind? This, this. I assume. I've never seen Gone with the Wind all the way through. I've seen. Bits yeah, me neither. To be honest, there are. I would. I guess a Charlie is the most racist depiction because he's also named Charlie. Oh, see, no, I wasn't. I wasn't thinking. I. I mean, I'm. It's really just the natives. The natives well, are just e- like even the natives, though. But they're, they're not portrayed as like stupid or like idiots. They're portrayed no, as like that's true. Pretty intelligent, interesting. Well, well, but they they do sacrifice women to this monster god thing, though. I mean, that's that's really the problem. That's what I mean by like this. That's like an outdated kind of. You yeah, know, I mean, it's, it's no like, damn oh, concept. what do these primitive people do? You know, it's like, yeah, sure, we'll sacrifice women, and then, and then, and then that these, um, that these, um, black men. You know, I know this is like mm-hmm. in Asia or somewhere, but I mean, I'm just talking about like the actors are just immediately obsessed with the first white woman they ever see. That's a little, you know, a little. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, like, and again, I have a, I mean, because you know, we both have studied history to some extent. And the weird thing is, like, I was watching well, you, this. you've I was studied thinking, art history. That doesn't count. That's well, history. I'll get out of here. Actual history, <laughs> sir. I have <laughs> I have a degree in actual history. Oh, shit. What was I saying? Oh, uh, yeah. Well, it, it's interesting because, you know, like, you, you brought up the sacrificial stuff. But, I mean, societies did do that. I mean, like, l- yeah. look at the I mean, South American and Mesoamerican societies, right? Yeah, and even, yeah. like, uh, cannibalistic societies. And then, I mean, you still have, like, the, uh, the Sentinelese people on North Sentinel Island, right, uh, who are eating people. And, and sacrificing people. And you've got Leatherface. <laughs> yeah. But I don't know. I don't know. I just, you know, in, uh, I didn't find it that offensive. But again, I am a white no, it's, male. No, it's, so. not, it's not like one of those things. Like, I mean, I, I sort of understand what, what you're saying. But I'm not saying, like, it's just a little uh, awkward. It's it, just a little it, awkward It's just a little see, outdated, you know I, mean? I guess. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's it more than anything. More than it being like specifically anything being like horrifically wrong with it. It's just more like, oh, this was this is it's of the time. And it's it's very it's aged badly, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, I, I get that. But I, I was thinking like after watching, the attitude towards women, maybe even more so like just the way some people talk. That's about the that. worst it's part like, about it, for sure. Like, oh, yeah, we don't need a woman I, I on the so. ship, you know? Yeah. But again, like I said, that performance is so bad that it's like it really sounds sarcastic. I think he's drunk all the time. I genuinely like I think that actor's drunk. Well, I read that he was like, um, I don't know if he was a last minute replacement, but this is like his first major role. It might be his first movie at all. But he he was a replacement. It was supposed to be somebody else and they dropped out. And so they got this guy out of a dumpster somewhere like I, I this guy is not <laughs> supposed to have this big of a role in this big of a film at the time. It was just it kind of just worked out that way. So I mean it, it in that sense it makes sense like okay, yeah, he's not very good cuz he doesn't know what he's doing. I think Fay Ray's good. I think um Robert Armstrong is really good. He's he he has this like charm about him, but he's also like this carnival barker like con man type thing where yes, he, I yeah. think he pulls that off really well. Yeah, I liked him. I don't think I would call him an antagonist, but like obviously he does some really horrible things and the entire second half of the movie is basically his fault but uh like i I don't know i think there's 
he's not just like this raging asshole necessarily, but I think he's he's just this guy. He's he, he doesn't understand that his actions have consequences. And, and I think it's like this, it's that part of the movie that ages actually really well. Mm-hmm. In in the sense that one in one sense this movie is like yeah it's showing you know we don't you know the way this movie treats women not that great the way this movie treats weirdo <laughs> races weirdo fictional races that we've never come across like yeah that maybe that's not the most flattering but I also like at the end of the day this is a movie about this guy is exploiting nature and yes, the unknown yeah. and he doesn't really end up paying the price, but a bunch of people do, you know what I mean? Yeah, and you know, I I was watching this. It's hard not to compare this to Peter Jackson's version that came out, what, like almost 15 years ago now, I guess? That was uh, 2005, I remember that, yeah. Denim is a much more likable character in this than he was in that Yes, and not just because he's Jack Black. Yeah, <laughs> I've never. Yeah. I've, Which, a lot of people like Jack say. Black. I never have. I think he's very, very miscast in that movie. I, I, he's just not right for the part. I think you're totally right on that. And the character in Peter Jackson's version is written as just an asshole who's willing to do yeah, anything for money, fame, and fortune, and who's willing to do anything to get his shot. Yeah, here, there, that's part of the character, but it's not horribly blatant. But it's no, still exactly. there. You can still read that in the character in the movie Mm -hmm. and i think that's more interesting because i think yeah this this is a guy that you know people question him here and there but the people who work with him have worked with him before you know the skipper driscoll like they like him yeah you know so i I just think it works better um but yeah yeah that's definitely true of the peter jackson king kong in this denim is kind of a worldly traveled person who has gone to these far-flung exotic places he might be a bit of an he asshole. He makes those, ju- I, th- was, I think, what's the line? is like, you make those jungle pictures, don't you, or something? So it's like, yeah, this is a guy, <laughs> yeah. he's like a John Huston. You know, John Huston went to Africa to shoot the African queen, mm-hmm. at least according to the fictional depiction of him in the Clint Eastwood movie White Hunter Black Heart, which is a super underrated movie. Clint Eastwood plays like a John Huston type in that, and apparently, at least according to that movie, I don't know if that was true, but like John Huston was like a raging asshole and like insisted on <laughs> going out and hunting animals that it was illegal to hunt. I think it was elephants or something. Mm-hmm. And I mean, like, yeah, so he's he's sort of like that. A yeah, little there, bit, there's maybe. even that throwaway line. Well, I guess it's not even really a throwaway line, but when they get to the village and he starts, he he kind of comes out from behind the bushes and he starts recording the uh, the tribal dance going on. And he said, I always take my pictures personally. I used to have a cameraman, but he was too worried that I wasn't going to shoot the rhino before it hit him <laughs> or something like that <laughs> oh, yeah. in Africa. And it was like, oh, okay, I get you. I, I understand what kind of person you are. <laughs> Anyways, you got to get back to the movie because this is the introduction of Kong. Oh, yes, yeah, sorry. <laughs> this is the famous scene. So she is, Anne is tied up on this like sacrificial altar beyond the wall they bang on the gong a few times and kong shows up and of course this is kong this should come as no surprise is a giant gorilla i just like the it should come as no surprise (laughs) well i mean we all know who king kong is we all know yeah we all we all know his deal uh he wears a tie he throws bananas at people he's got his (laughs) nephew diddy oh shut up (laughs) And he takes Anne. He, normally, I think he just he just kills the women, but this time he takes Anne. He also is infatuated with this beautiful young white woman. And while this is going on, this is when the crew come ashore, and then they realize uh, they they look through like some 
gaps in the wall and see this giant gorilla running off with her. And they're like, oh no, like what's going on? So they decide to go in pursuit. And this, this is another thing where it's like, yeah, Denim, not just a complete asshole. Like he's a willful participant in this search party. He's not just like, he's not just like, oh, we need the camera. We need to, you know, <laughs> film this thing. It's not like he sees that and immediately is like, oh, how can I make money off of this? Like, no, he's, he's trying to help here. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, he's a... Uh... He's definitely, and he, he's also got a gun, right? Like, everybody's got a gun, because they're all shooting at yeah. him. Well, they're well-armed, as we discussed, because they've got bombs, got smoke yeah, and, bombs, they've got guns. Yeah, and, he, and he's front and center, like, with everybody else, pretty much. It's Driscoll who's definitely the most emotionally invested, because somewhere, we kind of skipped over it, because those are some of the least interesting scenes, mostly because the Driscoll actor is so bad, but <laughs> he, he, you know, he gives Anne a hard time for a while, but he eventually comes to like her. You know, it's a the bit of a will-they-won't-they they kind of thing, except it's kind of abrupt, and it doesn't really work, because one of the actors is terrible. <laughs> but anyways, they are going after Anne, and Anne is in possession of this giant gorilla who what's he going to do with her i mean i mean let's 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 discuss this a bit what what is his plan what's his end game here well you know i mean at one point he starts ripping her clothes off of a he does you know, the, that's the, the clothes off of a of an unconscious woman so uh, make of that what you will <laughs> the physics of it though let's just you know the size okay. difference is a little <laughs> okay i mean what's he doing is, is is it just genuine curiosity you know that's the thing that I liked about the Peter Jackson version because it seemed like genuine curiosity. And like the whole Peter Jackson uh, like see, love I, thing I'm gonna was kind of... I'm going to politely disagree when they start going ice skating in Central Park. I'm like, what the hell is this? That's what when it gets this? bad. You're right. You're right. Because like... I thought the Peter Jackson one hit home the love story even harder. Although, although at least I think they probably did more with the Anne character to show her to be more than a damsel in distress, which is pretty much just all that Fay Ray is in this movie, unfortunately. I forgot that essentially what you just said is totally correct. I thought she had actually done more. Instead, she just screams throughout the entire movie. Pretty doesn't much. doesn't do anything but scream. Whereas yeah. in the Peter Jackson one, she actually, I don't know, does stuff. And Well, I remember he's like flicking her around and then she eventually like screams no at him and is able to get get him to kind of like listen to her just like a bit i don't think that really comes back but mm -hmm. there is that i remember that scene i haven't seen that movie in a long time um it's not a bad movie but it's seven it's hours long, long. <laughs> you know it's yeah. yeah it's you know there's a couple of really great like monster scenes in this movie which we're gonna get to shortly i'm sure oh yeah but one of the my the, like one of the most disgusting and terrifying scenes in any movie the bug it's like, not a horror movie all. yeah well it, no it's the slug scene where uh where Gollum and uh, and the oh specifically where those like things just like yeah those slug worms limbs. yeah yeah that was disgusting i remember being terrified yeah. by that so we've got creatures here our what's what's our first creature is it the brontosaurus no it's a stegosaurus it's just oh yeah that's right it's the stegosaurus the, yeah the stegosaurus is just minding its own business but then, <laughs> then they bother it and it starts charging them yeah. so they shoot it yeah. <laughs> and this poor innocent animal, they shoot it, and then it's not dead, so they continue to shoot it. And this, there's some interesting effects here, because as the camera follows, it's Denim and Driscoll as they're, like, walking around the Stegosaurus. It's really neat. Mm -hmm. They do, like, the um, restrain projection, project. yeah, like, yeah, I guess yeah. is what it would be called, and that's really neat. And, I like, you know, the tail's still moving, the thing's still alive. So that's, that's some really cool stuff. The The camera doesn't match, the you know, the, the, the movement of the camera. 
doesn't quite match with the movement of the screen because I think there's one point where they're not really moving, but the camera's still, (laughs) the screen's still moving or something. But, you know, it's overall 1933, degree of difficulty high. Like, they did a good job here. But yeah, they killed this poor innocent animal. That's right. Which I've, when I saw that scene, I just imagined that scene being in the second Jurassic Park, you know, where they're like going through the forest and that herd that. um, Yeah, that's the first dinosaurs they see when it's the first dinosaurs the main characters see in that movie too. And they also attack for no reason. Well, no, it's specifically, (laughs) I think in that case, it's specifically because Vince Vaughn's camera flash goes off or something I, yeah i think that's it but i was like imagine if it was different and they just started unloading on all these stegosaurus <laughs> that would be exactly like king kong <laughs> so then after the stegosaurus thing the main characters or well it's two of the main characters and a bunch of red shirts basically show up to this <laughs> lagoon you know body of water giant yeah. swamp lake whatever and they need to get across and they construct a raft and as, and as they're going across the body of water on a raft, they are attacked by a brontosaurus. And this is a very exciting scene. We've got a lot of, you know, scarecrow dummies kind of being thrown around. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That was always, I always loved that stuff as a kid. But yeah, we've got this brontosaurus. Um, they eventually make it to the shore, but the brontosaurus still continues to chase. One person climbs up in a tree probably not a great idea because you're like literally at the <laughs> at ideal height. height for this thing <laughs> yeah. they eat trees that's what they do they don't eat people they eat trees but you maybe that's why he eats them because he's hiding by the leaves he just thought he got a bit, very big leaf <laughs> oh i just i gotta say i love this whole like sequence of scenes they're probably my favorite in the movie Mm -hmm. just because the brontosaurus in the swamp looks so good and when he starts picking people out of the water and like throwing them that looks brutal and amazing it does until they cut to like just the dummy falling or the miniature yeah yeah but i i know what you mean yeah it looks awesome yeah the uh, the water the water dripping from like a model creature in black and white always looks awesome whether it's godzilla whether it's you know the stupid brontosaurus thing (laughs) always great so then Kong sets Anne down because they they catch up to Kong, apparently. They're in the woods or the forest, the rainforest, whatever. It's it's like daytime now, but they catch up. Kong sets Anne down on this like tree and then goes back and it's everyone's crossing like a ravine, a canyon or whatever, on a log. And Kong starts messing around with the log, tips a bunch of guys over. Driscoll survives. He takes refuge in this like little cave area on mm-hmm. like side of the ravine on the Kong side, the side that Kong came from where Anne is, not the other side. Kong knows he's left because everyone else is gone. Kong knows he's still there and he's reaching for him. He stabs him or he stabs Kong's hand with his little knife, <laughs> uh, which yeah. is awesome. And then so Kong eventually kind of, well, he it, what really gets him away is Anne starts screaming because a T-Rex is coming for her. So that's, you know, that gets Kong away. And then there's also this giant lizard guy that comes up. Yeah, it was like a Komodo dragon or something. Well, it was a weird, because like, I actually, I didn't, I looked closely at this. He's only got two limbs. I looked at, I looked closely at this because <laughs> that's the, um that's the, the design of the creatures in Kong Skull Island. I think they call them like oh. skull crawlers or something. They only have the, the two uh, arms or whatever, the two arms, legs, whatever you want to call them. And I always thought that was kind of a stupid design. But I think it's, it was inspired by this guy, I think, because I, I only saw two two limbs. 
I mean, it would make sense, yeah. Yeah, but <laughs> I love this scene because it's like, oh no, it's it's like this like exciting suspenseful thing. But then he just kind of cuts cuts the vine that he's saying, yeah, and, and he falls. just falls. <laughs> Very anticlimactic. It's kind of like the um the Raiders of the Lost Ark when that guy's swinging the sword around and Indiana Jones just shoots him. <laughs> it's a bit like that. <laughs> exactly, like you think yeah. this is going to be more <laughs> exciting than it ends up being, but it's kind of funny too. But speaking of exciting, this is where we get the famous Kong versus T-Rex fight. And this scene is awesome. Some of the most satisfying effects. So a lot more of rear screen projection here. Because this is a lot of... They're doing something really difficult here. It's not just these two, you know, these two clay model creatures fighting. But they, they integrate Anne into the scenes a lot. Mm-hmm. Which is really tough to do. And it looks pretty good. It doesn't look perfect, obviously. This is a movie from the 30s, but it looks very good. The two are fighting. There's a scene where Anne's in the tree. The tree starts falling, and it's that rear screen projection thing behind her, which is cool. And after the tree falls, Anne is kind of pinned underneath it. She's trying to get out because she's trying to run from these two creatures, but she just can't get out. And then, yeah, so Kong versus the T-Rex. This was, this was always my favorite scene as a kid, and I was always disappointed in who won. Every time I'd seen this movie a bunch of times, and each time I was like upset. I'm thinking like, no, that's not how it would have happened. Come on. <laughs> like, you know, the T-Rex let me down. He let me down because he gets his jaw snapped, which is such a cool, brutal, awesome way. Yeah, especially for, for to, 1933. To yeah, there's blood. There's a lot of blood. You see some blood with the Stegosaurus too, but uh, yeah, yeah, there's a bloody movie for, for the time. But yeah, and, and I love how he, because after he snaps like the jaw, he does that thing. But then he kind of plays with it after he's done it. And then it's like, oh my God. I know, yeah. He's, <laughs> he's an animal. I know, exactly. You're like, oh yeah, this is like a powerful animal. He's a monster. <laughs> <laughs> this is an extinct creature you just killed. <laughs> Somebody bring this guy up on poaching charges. He's already dead. Leave him alone. So Kong takes Anne. At this point too, Driscoll is the only one on the Kong slash Anne side of that ravine, whatever they crossed. Yeah. And Denim was on the other side and they had like some like Denim's like, okay, I'll, I'll get back and we'll have that door open for you when you come back. Yeah. And it, I'm going to get more, more gas. Yeah. More, bombs. more guns, more, more. Yeah. He's going to fill up on his gas. He's going to eat some beans. <laughs> and he'll be, he'll be ready. But yeah. So Driscoll's <laughs> on his own. And he follows Kong and Anne into this, like, cave mountain area where Kong fights another creature. He fights, like, a sea monster thing. Yeah, like a, like a, like a snake? I think it's got limbs, though. But it's, oh. yeah, it's, it's snake-like, Loch Ness Monster-like. You know, he fights the thing. And then on the outside, there, there's, like, this cliff ledge on the outside, which is where he and Anne are hanging out. He's, I think that's where he's taking off Anne's clothes, I think. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Yeah, it's a little uncomfortable. A little awkward. What's he doing? What is that ape doing? Anyways, he sets Anne down because he hears Driscoll inside the cave. So he goes like looking for him and he almost finds him. But then a pterodactyl has come outside to attack Anne and pull her away. And so Kong has to go over there. He fights the pterodactyl, which is really awesome. And when that's happening, Driscoll finds Anne, and they climb down a vine from the cliff. But Kong disposes of the pterodactyl and realizes that they're on the vine, so he starts pulling the vine up until Driscoll 
using that knife that he used earlier in the film, cuts themselves off of the vine and they fall into a river, theoretically like a thousand feet below them yeah. or several hundred feet, yeah. you know. It's fortunate this worked out. Well, you know, I also want to point out the movie is so exciting. From the minute Anne gets taken, it's running with monster, running with monster, monster fight, monster fight, monster fight, monster fight. Yeah, there's no filler yeah. in this middle section. There really no, isn't. it's all there's, great. Yeah. It's all 100% gold. Well, it's black and white, but yeah. <laughs> There's no color in this movie. Oh, I shut know. up. <laughs> but anyways, Anne and Driscoll running back to the wall, to the village. Where there's exciting music playing, which we haven't mentioned the music, of course, but this is like this is the third oldest movie we've done on this podcast. We did Frankenstein. We did uh, Dracula. We, did, we also did The Invisible Man, which was released the same year as this. But this is a full-on legitimate musical score. Yeah. And this is one of the early, I believe, one of the earliest films to have that. Like, this is a super influential movie, not just for its special effects, but even for its music, like what it was doing. Like, we saw, you know, Frankenstein Dracula, they both open with that Ballad of Swan Lake song, and then there's, like, no musical score the rest of the movie. Like, <laughs> King Kong is just, uh, on the, for the music alone, is so much more lively than most movies that came out before it and everything. And so th- that's great. But this is, this is where the music is really hitting you hard as they're running through the vibe and the, the ferns oh which by the way another fun fact that amazon prime gave me about uh, the jungle was that yeah it was the jungle set uh, built for the, for most, the most dangerous, dangerous game. game yeah which that was that was a movie um because one of this movie had two directors king kong did ernest or marion c cooper and ernest b shedsack 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 i think <laughs> one of those two guys also directed the most dangerous game which that that movie came out in thirty two. That, that's a really good movie. I like it a lot. I think I, I think maybe like some of the actors in this movie might be in that one too. I can't remember. Maybe Robert Armstrong or something. But yeah, that I think th- it was. Uh, this was an RKO movie, which RKO is. I don't think they're anymore. You know, maybe they got bought out. Maybe they just went under. I don't know. But I think it was RKO's practice to make like um, two movies at a time back then. It was kind of like how movies would be released in like the fifties. You had like an A movie and a B movie. Mm-hmm. And they kind of like, I think they shot a couple movies at the same time and they did like one movie, this is going to be a bigger production, more money, more actors. This other movie, we're using the same sets, but it's going to be a little smaller. And I think the, the most dangerous game was like the smaller King Kong, I think. That's what I had read when I back when I first saw the most dangerous game, you know, four or five years ago. That's what I had read. Yeah, that's interesting because that's a good movie too. It's not as good as King Kong. It's certainly not as classic as King Kong, but that's it's worth watching. That's on our list somewhere. We are actually doing a, a film later this season based on the most dangerous game premise story, whatever you want to call it, because that is a short story originally. And then it's been the most, one of the most adapted, you know, things to television, movies. Star Trek has done multiple versions of that kind of story. The Running Man is is sort of that story, sort of. <laughs> yeah. But but hey, so is Slave Girls from Beyond Infinity, which is coming up later this season. <laughs> Stay tuned. It's oh, a classic, that's, folks. That's not it's the name of a movie. That that's is a... the name of a movie. It's uh, Brink Stevens. It's a great movie. Okay. <laughs> An excellent sci-fi erotic robot-filled <laughs> romp. Shut up! That's not. That sounds fake. I don't believe you. It's it's a real film. It's oh, it's, okay. it's a wonderful film. Oh, okay. 
<laughs> but speaking of wonderful films, Denim and the gang opens up this giant door for Anne and Driscoll. But as they shut it, this is where Kong approaches. And then all of a sudden the villagers, who I don't know what they've been doing, but they're they're back. They're trying to barricade the door as well because Kong is pushing through. And then in one of the most iconic shots, I think, in all of cinema, he eventually breaks through and everyone scatters and runs and I love this shot is, I mean, this is the shot of the movie right here. This is so great. Like, I completely forget that this is not just an effects shot, but like a blending of a couple of effects. Because not only do you have a, do you, have a you know, um, obviously a miniature stop motion monster mm-hmm. in Kong opening the door, but you also have all of those people running away. And that's a separate effect just to get them into a shot with this miniature, who the, with the miniature is going to look gigantic. Like, remember we talked about that with uh, Godzilla. That was their, the original Godzilla movie has a few shots that don't look very good and it's because it's trying to blend real actors to make them seem miniature compared to this Godzilla thing yeah but yeah. it looks outstanding here in 1933 great stuff this is our full-on Kong havoc mode where fortunately he doesn't kill any of the white people <laughs> um, <laughs> you know you know you darn darn well, well he, that's that's what the filmmakers are thinking he already killed a bunch of white people earlier when he threw that's them down i mean it, yeah it's not like yeah i mean he had, yeah it's the I'm just talking turn. about this scene specifically it's we've got mostly native red shirts which you know they're not even wearing shirts most of them but they're throwing spears at him he's knocking down their buildings he's stepping on them in the mud he's throwing them in his mouth and just kind of taking them out (laughs) not really sure what he's doing there there's there's a fun scene where there's like a you know there's a crowd of people just running in every which way and there's like a little baby sitting down crying and then the mom from inside her house notices him and screams when he when she sees him and then fortunately the baby is saved just before kong's foot comes down yeah yeah yeah, because he would have because he would have murdered a baby and you know i'm I'm not a big fan of children so i'm already um you You know he's he's winning me back a little bit after killing the t-rex i'm starting to like him a little bit more (laughs) eventually he he tears apart new york city and he's always got anybody who does that has my support like that i remember (laughs) in um godzilla king of the monsters which is the second most recent godzilla movie Ghidorah takes on Boston in that movie and he just like rips Boston to shreds and the entire city is on fire and I'm like I'm supposed to be rooting against this guy it's Boston come on I don't know why I found that so funny Uh. oh no no one likes Boston eventually Kong kind of gets to the beach and they just smoke bomb the shit out of him and they just like knock him out and then um they're getting ready to well, we we we, we kind of they they wisely edit around this. We never see them transporting Kong across the ocean, yeah. Because we don't really know how that would be done. <laughs> you know, I guess they make construct a giant raft and just a constant dose of gas bombs to like keep them knocked out. I guess, but really, it doesn't matter. King Kong versus Godzilla. They transport him by balloons. Uh, there's no there's no realistic way to handle this. Yeah, but. We then cut ahead to New York City, where Carl Denham has this Broadway theater sold out because he's got this Kong show. And I love that there are people entering the show who have no idea what it is. Yeah, yeah. They, have, they literally have no idea. That, like, they're not even sure if it's a play or not. And they're like, oh, uh, Denham, he makes those jungle pictures. He, what's he doing with a Broadway show or whatever? And it's like, oh, it's not even a play. Like, 
And there was did you did you catch how much money the tickets cost? Because there's a line. I think I have it written down. I I'm did. I it. I looked it up. I looked it up. Let me just reopen my uh, my document here. Oh, ten thousand dollars. One guy said it was. Oh no, ten thousand no. dollars is the total take. Yeah. So he so he which, said uh, he said tickets cost twenty dollars, and in nineteen thirty three, it was the equivalent of four hundred and twenty dollars today per ticket. Oh, that's the funny number. And then <laughs> it's one of the two yeah. funny numbers. And then uh, later, Denim goes. We pulled in like ten grand that night. Which ten, is the, ten grand was the total box office take. Which that's just one day. He's expecting that for weeks. Exactly. And I also did the conversion on that. That's two hundred and ten thousand dollars in today's money. And actually, that's Canadian. Oh, so it's so it's like three hundred twenty thousand, probably it's three point seventy five like million billion. Okay. In American. What? No. Okay. Know. Shut up. <laughs> yeah, that's Hamilton money. I think. Yeah, I think it's Hamilton so. money. It's at least Dear Evan Hansen money, if not Hamilton <laughs> money, you know. So Denham, of course, has Driscoll and Anne there, and he he wants them to get their photos with the with the press because the press obviously. So Kong is he's chained up on this big thing, and they're taking photos, and then eventually, obviously, the curtains open. Denim gives his Denim, of course, gives this little introduction. Then they open the curtains. Everyone marvels at this giant stupid gorilla and um gorilla, st- <laughs> gorilla starts freaking out because uh, specifically i mean he well and uh, he recognizes Anne and Driscoll. really it's i think he's freaking out a because he loves Anne or likes Anne or wants to take her clothes off again or something but then also because <laughs> yeah. driscoll is the guy that took her from him so you know it's a bit of a love triangle i guess you could say soap opera e <laughs> this is actually this would make a great episode of the young and the restless yeah the the um no, I don't know what I was going to say. I was going to make some gorilla joke like the... the uh, uh, I don't know, the Harry and the Drunk? <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> damn it. I, no, because Sil- I was going to say something about a silverback, except silver sounds old. So <laughs> silverback and the restless? I don't know. <laughs> so within five seconds of this show actually starting, Kong, of course, escapes. And this is just like, you got to question the um, if they really had the best engineers working on this thing. You know, this is the Great Depression. So maybe this was just one of those jobs programs where they just like any random guy designs these chains for this giant man-eating ape <laughs> that's supposed to restrain him. One of my favorite lines in it was, don't worry, folks, it's perfectly safe. This is chromium steel or whatever. And I'm like, that's just chrome. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like chromed steel. That just doesn't make it. What's stronger, that right? internet thing supposed to do to to keep that gorilla from escaping? <laughs> or at least use ExpressVPN. This episode, of course, brought to you not Why? by ExpressVPN because oh. they sponsor everybody but us. But <laughs> I was gonna say that'd be a great segue to say that we got. A it would be. It would have been. But at least we're not sponsored by HelloFresh. I, every internet person on earth seems to be sponsored by HelloFresh, and I can never imagine a single person actually using that service. Is yeah, anyone you know, I, that lazy that they wouldn't grocery shop? I can. I can name a few. One who I currently live with. You know, I'd like oh. to be sponsored by MeUndies. That'd be all right. I don't even know what that is. Nice, is that from the room? Nice, lovely underwear. From- <laughs> That's the line from the room. <laughs> no, it isn't. Get out of here. It, it is. is he, it? He, he, oh, no. He says me underwears. Excuse me. Excuse oh. me. But he does say me. <laughs> me, me How underwears. Unfortunate. <laughs> so anyways, the gorilla has escaped, and these people are fleeing the theater faster than the... Uh, early previews of spider-man into the dark or whatever when the stuntmen were dying do you remember that story 
<laughs> no. That was like, I don't know if anyone died, but there were like several, because they were doing a Spider-Man musical, and like tickets for like the rehearsal began being more expensive than other actual show tickets and it was specifically because many stuntmen had been injured because it was like all these aerial acrobatics and stuff oh my god and then it was just like this really like dark twisted thing where like people were 100 percent paying to go hopefully see someone like get hurt and it's like the only thing i can imagine like it's like if every single person at the daytona 500 is like deep down hoping there's like a major crash or something <laughs> i'm sure a few are, are thinking that yeah but i can't imagine everyone is you know no, and that'd be pretty morbid to assume. Oh, and, and, and to add insult to injury, the music was made by Bono and The Edge for that for that Spider-Man <laughs> musical. It was. I don't know why. But yeah, anyway, Kong's on the loose. He's in Midtown. He's running around. Anne and Driscoll have left. They're going back to... Oh, first of all, they're about to get married. This That's like mentioned at some point. It's not really important, but they're like engaged mm-hmm. or something. They're going to... I guess one of their apartment buildings. Maybe they both live together in sin. I don't know. It was 1933. <laughs> I mean, that that's frowned upon in 1933. In let's be honest. Yeah. But Kong eventually starts climbing the building that they're in. He pulls this poor sleeping woman out of her bed, realizes it's not Anne, and just throws her down, murdering her. <laughs> um, but you know what? This kind of on her for sleeping for sleeping throughout that. Um, major panic outside I, I think it's like a commentary on like new yorkers like how like weird stuff can happen and they'll just like go about their day that's what i actually thought to be honest <laughs> no I'm, i mean i'm sure it's not but it's just just, just like it's a little monster movie thing right eventually kong finds Anne's room giant arm reaches in and this is a fun effect because it's this it's it's an arm of you know real size arm it knocks out driscoll because driscoll like raises a chair he's gonna you know by god on this thing but then he just, <laughs> he just gets knocked out pretty easily <laughs> and so this gorilla takes Anne. Kong also takes out a train of course because you got to have that you know remember we had godzilla taking out a train I know. Yeah, the, invis- yeah. the Invisible Man took out a train. We've had a lot of <laughs> train crashes and stuff. And the movie The Swarm, a train goes down. <laughs> um, yeah, so Kong eventually climbing the Empire State Building. And it's um, it's like some police guys, and it's Denim and it's Driscoll, like in this office. And this scene's kind of, this scene feels a little bit slapped together, but they're like, oh no, what are we, what are we going to do? And then they hear on the radio broadcast, Kong is climbing the Empire State Building. And then they're like, oh. Uh, and then and then one of them's like, wait, what if we use planes? And they're like, oh, that's a great idea. Like, why weren't we thinking of that? Like, <laughs> like oh, yeah, uh, planes so, exist. I forgot. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, 33, you know, they're, they're <laughs> relatively newfangled technology at this point, you know. But yeah, so they launched some planes from LaGuardia or uh, JFK. Well, it wasn't JFK back then. <laughs> JFK wasn't born. <laughs> no, he was born. He was um, living his fraudulent life somewhere as a like a 15 year old kid at this time <laughs> he was living his fraudulent life <laughs> well if, if you read his harvard entrance essay no, that I man haven't. that man was like entering college entering his ivy league college he was at like a fourth grade writing level he was just like that guy's the kennedys are a bunch of frauds <laughs> anyways these planes launch and they are after Kong. Kong is atop the Empire State Building, of course, in one of the most famous climactic sequences in all of film. The planes shoot at him. He sets Anne down so that he can fight them off. He's, you know, like a little cat going after one of those laser pointers. <laughs> He's swinging around. And he takes down a plane or two, doesn't he? 
least yeah, one. he takes one. Maybe down, just yeah. one. Which wouldn't you feel awful to be that guy? Like, you, <laughs> like you're you're on a in a plane. You have a machine gun on your plane. You can attack this thing from a distance. How do you get close enough to get thrown to the ground? I, I know, right? Yeah, everybody, all the other. Hey, it's a new technology. Fun of that guy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. At the funeral, they're like, they're just like, like well, this get is get a load of this thing. guy. A giant monkey killed him. What a loser. <laughs> Anyways, Kong is eventually, of course, taken out. He falls, and I love this shot where you see like the this, this beautiful shot of the Empire State Building. You see this like little Kong miniature thing like fall against the side and was like hits the side a couple times going down. Awesome stuff. He's of course on the ground in the street. A crowd has gathered. I always felt there should be like a crater here, like a little maybe not like a giant crater, but like a yeah. But he's there should be some he's, he's broken through the pavement. Here. Yeah, a little bit, at least a little bit here. Give me, give me something, movie. But anyways, they're, they're for like the police is like holding everyone back, and then Denim's Denim just goes up there and he's like, oh, "Hold on, sir, no one's allowed to cross." And he's like, "Oh, no, wait, I'm Carl Denim." And he's like, "Oh, excuse me." And they're and they're thinking like, "No, this put this guy in chains. This is the guy that did it." <laughs> yeah. yeah. But yeah, so he gets to say his final goodbye to Kong, and of course he says he reminds us. Well, because there's one guy who's like, oh, yeah, the airplane's got him, which, like, what kind of line is that? Like, obviously. <laughs> then Denim's like, no, it wasn't the airplanes. It was Beauty killed the Beast. And that's our final line of the movie. That's We, we skipped the other Beauty and the Beast lines because that, that that's mentioned a few times. It's mentioned pretty sure when they're talking to the press at the Kong Gala you know, yeah. like the Kong yeah. Broadway show. It's, it's mentioned a couple other times, I'm sure. It's, the first it's mentioned time, a lot. The first time it's mentioned, she's holding a monkey. On the ship, uh, Andero is holding. That's a right. Monkey. Well, well, the first time it's mentioned is the Arabian proverb to start the film, of course. Oh, but yeah, yes, right. the first time it's mentioned in the dialogue. Yeah, she's got well, monkey. That's right. We we do have monkeys in both films. I wonder that's, if that one was Barney fair. too. How old? How old do those kind of monkeys <laughs> live to be? <laughs> Not old enough to be in both <laughs> films. I doubt. Uh, I'll I'll just put it that way. But anyways, Jim, what did you think of King Kong? Yeah, I, you know, it's great. It's a classic. It's a must-see if you if you haven't seen it. And for anybody who hasn't seen it, what are you doing with your life? You should probably watch it. Uh, yeah, it's fantastic. All the claymation stuff was amazing to watch. And it's, as you kind of pointed out earlier, it looks a little goofy, but there's something really... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? There's something really... Um, appealing. There's just something fun about that style of effect. Uh, yeah, really. appealing, I, mean, I guess. It's just awesome. Yeah, and I mean, and the story is a, is a is a fine story. The real plus for me for this movie is that it is paced really well. There's not a mm-hmm. moment of like like the, there's a couple boring moments near the beginning with like Anne and Driscoll, but other yeah. than that, it's paced really well. It's all exciting from beginning yeah. to end. Uh, yeah, just just a fantastic movie, and it's a classic for a reason. Yeah, I you mentioned the pacing. I agree with you. I think even the like the opening stuff before the ship actually takes off is pretty well done. I like the establishing of like something Denim is doing is you know not up to snuff. He's up to something weird. We don't know what yet. It's pretty cool yeah. how it goes about that. And then yeah, it, it drags just a tiny bit, a tiny bit on the ship, which is where we get the love story with Driscoll and Anne. Which even though it's mentioned that they're getting married, it's not a huge part of the movie. It really isn't. This is this is a movie about the monkey action, really. I mean, well, not just the not just the ape, but just the creatures, the fantastical world that you're. It's just a classic adventure movie. It's just got that feeling of adventure. You're seeing something. I mean, we've. Obviously, 80 years of movies have come out since... 90 years of movies have come out since then. So we've kind of seen 
stuff like this and other things but like this and we've even seen remakes of this movie but like this was stuff in 1933 no one had seen anything like this you know in a lot of instances and and even still even though we've seen a lot of this stuff in other things since it's still just exciting and it, there's something about it yeah the music I, I love the music the score by max steiner who's one of the most classic hollywood composers i think he did movies like the searchers and stuff so like a bunch of classics yeah this is an excellent movie one one of one of the best movies we've covered i think i totally agree with you on everything you said just a fantastic action adventure movie that again is thrilling from beginning to end yeah it blends genres well i mean there's it's a giant monster movie there's like a, the the horror aspect to it obviously now nah, i mean obviously it's not like scary today but this is the horror there's the action adventure there's the like the just being thrown into this like fantastical world there's that fantasy you know not like high fantasy like wizard of oz kind of lord of the rings kind of thing but you know there's fantasy there yeah and i mean all the monster fights are great you know kong versus the various monsters it's it's all exciting to watch yeah the pterodactyl i think is an underrated one the t-rex is obviously my favorite because that's awesome yeah even the snake the snake cheated monster thing yeah it's great stuff are you are you ready to move on? Yeah, I'm ready to move on. All right, go ahead when when you're when you're ready. Just do some kind of transitionary. I'm gonna transition. Kind of, oh my god! Just like the monkey transitioned for this film for his yeah. role in this film. <laughs> yeah, let's see. Damn it! Yeah, because uh, I was gonna say, well, Patrick, moving on from one monkey movie to another, we've got Robinson Crusoe on Mars. Sure. <laughs> Came out in '64. It was directed by Byron Haskin. Who did, who's, I think his most the famous War of the picture Worlds. was... Yeah, exactly. The, which, this movie reuses special effects from that film because the little alien spaceships that show up are the tripods from the War of the Worlds in 53. Even though they're not tripods, they're just like flying saucers. But there was like a line about like, oh, oh, actually, there's these like invisible lasers that are tripods. There's, there's the same exact ship. I think they might be like a different color in this, but same yeah, exact yeah. effects. We're lazy in this film, but no. I mean, it's <laughs> this this movie in its own way is a special effects masterpiece. Maybe not to the level that Kong is, but... It is, yeah. And I mean, for 1964, it looks pretty great still. I mean, like Star Wars, the original... Se- or Star Wars. Star Trek, the original series, what, came out in 67? yeah. The pilot was shot in like '65. Pilot wasn't aired on television until like the '80s, I think. But yeah, the um, so Star Trek as we know it is '66, '67, the first episodes. And yeah, yeah I would compare this, looks this probably to Star better Trek. Than anything in Star Trek. Well, I mean, I think you're just dealing with the movie budget compared to a TV budget, but they have similar looks to them. There's that, like, very colorful, like, Technicolor kind of look, and I love that. Like, Barbarella is another thing that kind of has that look to it, like that 60s sci-fi colorful kind of thing. Forbidden Planet, even a movie, which that's from the 50s, also kind of looks like that. I just love that look. It's a a really neat aesthetic. I appreciate it. It's about as boring as any episode of Star Trek also. Oh, my Um, God. Yes. No, yeah, this is... This movie is as dry as the surface of Mars. (laughs) Not in this movie. It's pretty pretty wet in some places. (laughs) Right. Well, it's, you know, it's a movie. Yeah. You know, I will say too, this movie is essentially the original Martian. The original The Martian. Very similar. Yes. I also looked this up. It, it had a, a except he title. except he doesn't eat his own shit in this movie. Like <laughs> Matt Damon did. Yeah, well, Matt Damon, he's just a big shit eater. <laughs> the original title for this movie was Gravity Probe One, Mars. Oh, that's awful. 
I mean, don't get me wrong, Robinson Crusoe on Mars is a bit much. That doesn't yeah, roll off the tongue ridiculous. so well. <laughs> well, the, the Paramount sales manager, uh, which I've written down, his name is Charles Boisberg. Boisberg, I don't know. He thought that that title sounded too much like a documentary and would put people off. So he was like, well, let's call it like Robinson Crusoe on Mars or something. That's how they got that, which is also like a, a kind of a ridiculous name for a movie. Oh, it is. Yeah. Well, first of all, for the, I guess, do we have to say what Robinson Crusoe is? Do, do uh, people, I, does everybody know that? People should. People well, should it's a book. It. Ri- it's a book written by Willem Dafoe. In what, like seventeen seventy? No, just it's, it's, you're supposed oh. to correct me. It's Daniel Dafoe. Oh, yes, Daniel Dafoe. Yes. <laughs> yeah, well, I said <laughs> Willem. <laughs> but yeah, it's. Um, I heard Dafoe. I was like, yeah, that's right. <laughs> early early eighteenth century. It's um, Dafoe is. It's considered the first novel in British literature. Which, you know, I mean, what's the first novel? Like, okay, you know, a lot of people say it's like Don Quixote, which was like 1600-something. You know, that's Spanish, mm-hmm. though. But then you have the picaresque novels. You have, like, things like, um, like those go back to at least, like, the f- 1590s. So but whatever, the, the, for the purposes of, like, the English tradition, the novel more or less starts with Defoe, who, which I've actually never read Robinson Crusoe. I've read Mal Flanders, which is another novel by Defoe. And I remember enjoying that rather well. But I'm, I'm overall 18th century, not my century, not, you know, it's not my type, <laughs> my favorite kind of literature. Hashtag not my century. Yeah, not my century. <laughs> no, even like the, um, the poetry is lots of just like rhyming couplets and it's really dry. Like Alexander, or is it Alexander? Alexander Pope? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't like him. You know, Wordsworth and those guys are like later in the century. Like they're, they're fine. The, really the only writer I like from that century I like the I like the satirists. I like you know Jonathan Swift is is writing in that century, and one of my favorite writers ever, Lawrence Stern, who wrote the Life and Opinions of Tristram Shandy, Gentleman, which is one of the funniest fucking books you'll ever read. It's incredible, one of the greatest novels ever. If you're into weirdo like postmodernism from this 18th century, which <laughs> as far as I know, he's the only one who was doing it. Uh, but yeah, no, not not my favorite century of literature. But Robinson Crusoe, it's a novel about a guy who gets shipwrecked. Yeah, for and he comes years. across this native guy who's named Friday, or he names him Friday. I don't really know, and he's like his assistant. Yeah, he, that's yeah. that's that novel, right? I mean, yeah, are, are much, we missing yeah. anything? No, is, I mean, is there is the there end. a volleyball companion that he names Wilson? I don't know. Maybe <laughs> there is. Yeah, I mean, yeah. To break Robinson Crusoe down, you've you've pretty much hit the nail on the head there. And then the last thing to mention is, much like with this movie, Robinson Crusoe gets off the island eventually after the twenty eighth year, I think. Uh, which I think he meets Friday in like the twenty fifth year. I I've only read bits. And yeah, Friday of the book. wasn't never... a huge part of this movie. Yeah. Also, speaking of that, fun fact. I thought the monkey was Friday. I really like because I had seen this movie before, and I thought maybe the monkey was named Friday, and that was I didn't remember the. No, that's some Mona weird the monkey. Dude. Who's also who's named as Barney the Wooly Monkey, but yeah, uh, Friday in the book is named Friday because that's when Robinson Crusoe meets him on a Friday. Yeah, that's right. Which I don't think they established that here. Well, he doesn't even have days of the week. He's on Mars. No, yeah, he just calls him Friday <laughs> after after yeah. the book. Oh, is it? That's right. Yeah. Yeah, and then also too, I didn't know that the term what is it, Man Friday? Yeah, yeah, that's it. Man Friday comes from Robinson Crusoe. I was like, yeah, oh, well, that makes I, sense. I, and I'm not, I'm not honestly all that familiar with that term i know there's a cary grant movie his girl friday i know uh, that's like how i know that term and i, I don't yeah. even think i've ever seen that movie i just know it. like what the hell is that like oh it's a robinson crusoe thing okay yeah for both men and it can be used for both men and women and it means like um 
somebody who's very loyal, who will do anything for you, who's... A Smithers, if you will, yes. from The Simpsons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's kind of the perfect example. Smithers, we've got... Um, Samwise Gamgee. Igor. Yeah. A lot, <laughs> yeah. a lot of depictions of Frankenstein. Igor is kind of that. Yeah, I get, Yeah, I don't know. I can't think of any others. So, Jim, what's the plot to this movie? There's not much. No, it is. There isn't. I want to say one of my favorite... I guess you could call it like a cameo. Is Adam, Adam West, West in this? Yeah, yeah. He's, yeah. Well, you think he's going to be like a big part, and he's not. Yeah, because we open on Adam West and Mona the Monkey in this spaceship. And then, what's the name of the actor? Paul Manti. Uh, he plays Commander K- uh, Christopher Kitt Draper. Anyways, they're, they're in this ship, and they have to dodge an asteroid above Mars. And then they get sucked into Mars's gravitational pull, and... The ship is somehow going to be like stuck there and they're out of fuel. So Adam West and the monkey. Yeah, yeah, Adam West and the monkey and Kit, they decide to jettison themselves in these escape pods and then we just follow Kit the whole time. He lands on the surface of Mars, has a bit of trouble where he gets attacked by like a fireball on Mars and it explodes his landing pod. Sure. And he just kind of wanders around the surface and <laughs> he, eventually like this... he eventually finds the other escape pod. But yeah. Adam West is dead, but Crushed the monkey, yes, the monkey is alive and well. Yeah, wearing and the monkey's got a little space, space suit, suit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which is adorable. Yeah, I also want to say, I, I want to point out that the landscape of Mars is pretty hellish. Like, it's just on fire constantly, and he finds, like, these yellow rocks that are on fire. Well, yeah, and, and, well, and he, uses those, he uses those basically as oxygen, too, eventually. Yeah, because he eventually... he's got his own little cave where he can breathe. Because for a while, this movie, like, it looks like oxygen, and it kind of looks like it's going to be The Martian in in, yes. in where, yeah. like, it's paying attention to a lot of these things. But eventually, it's like, no, he can take off his mask. He'll just have to put it on every now and then, or his helmet, excuse me. Yeah, because in the... 1964, they, they didn't understand that there's essentially no atmosphere on Mars. Or maybe they did, <laughs> yeah. and it's just filmmakers didn't care. It's probably more that. I mean... Yeah, I would, I would assume that. And then eventually he finds the monkey, and the monkey's in the suit, and he's like, oh, you don't need this oxygen. I'm like, well, he does, <laughs> actually. <laughs> but... <Yeah. laughs> I understand yeah. if you want to if you want to live five minutes longer by stealing the monkey's oxygen, but the monkey does need the oxygen. If we're being perfectly honest here, exactly. I know. I felt bad for I felt bad for Barney or Mona. Pardon me. Um. Yeah. So Adam West, obviously, we don't get a lot of him. He's Adam West is the top five greatest speaking voices ever. Like I just yeah. listen to that man talk forever. Like he's just a beautiful beautiful voice wish we had more of him and i don't know if he's a good actor uh you know whatever he's probably better than this other guy we get who this other guy what was the actor's name again paul manti do you know what significance he has in the role in in television history oh no i have no clue he played the first on-screen klingon in star trek oh did he really I couldn't tell you what episode it was, but it basic basically that the only thing I took from that is like this guy's worn blackface at one time or another because <laughs> I don't know for me like Klingons are like the classic Star Trek. They're not they're not always villains, but they're the classic Star Trek race, right? The classic Star Trek Klingons and Romulans, race. yeah, and, and well, and, and Vulcans too, but Vulcans are more the allies. But yeah, no, well, Romulans a little bit, yeah, Romulans. 
like Klingons are the one like they're weirdos out there that know the language Klingon and like Hamlet has been translated to Klingon and like there's weirdos out there right it's a yeah. great Frasier episode where <laughs> Frasier is supposed to get Scott Bakula's autograph for this massive Star Trek fan and in, in because he wants this guy to write his uh, a speech for his son's bar mitzvah in Hebrew uh, but because he doesn't go and get Scott Bakula's autograph the guy ends up writing the speech in Klingon and so he's he's like at the synagogue delivering the speech and he's just speaking Klingon and like what the hell is he doing it's, it's great stuff that's great but yeah so well yeah let's 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 go well, back but, to but what I was to... what I was going to say about Klingons is like Klingons did not leave much of an impression on me in the original series so I couldn't tell you what episode this guy's in but he's in whichever you know first episode second or first season, second season episode, the Klingons are introduced. He's he's in it, I guess. So good for him. Good for him. Yeah. You know, before getting back to the movie, I feel like the first Klingon episode. One of us should look this up, but I feel like the first one is the is tr- Trouble with Tribbles, but that can't be true. That can't be right. That's uh, the first time I, I remember I seeing them in Star Trek. I'm looking it up because you can talk about this joke of a okay, movie okay, if you yeah. want. Okay. I don't even hate this movie, just to be clear. No, it's because it's, it's not a, a terrible movie. But anyways, the whole movie, as you were saying, looks like it's going to be this whole like survival thing where the first issue Kit has is getting oxygen. And he's got a ration his oxygen, but he wants to find Adam West, who, again, as we pointed out, is crushed beneath his, his lander. And he gets Mona the monkey, and he has to ration oxygen, food. He has to ration water. He quickly finds that these like yellow rocks that he's been burning for warmth also give off oxygen. And when he passes out from <laughs> running out of his oxygen and he wakes back up next to these yellow rocks. So mm-hmm. he has like a way to refill his oxygen tanks and live indefinitely if he finds food and water. Which right. I, I really like the scene where he's rationing out these the, these meals and water for him and Mona and the monkey doesn't really want it. So he's like, oh, well... She must know something I don't. So he, so he feeds the monkey a saltine cracker with uh, turkey paste on it with extra salt and then follows the monkey to this watering hole it's been getting water from. And in this watering hole, he's growing up this weird sausage seaweed that is uh, totally edible and that he then starts farming en masse or on like this massive scale, right? Like, <laughs> So now he has food, water forever, so much water that he can swim in it whenever mm-hmm. he wants. Yeah, and he's good on oxygen. So all that's been solved, and then that's the next bit of the movie, really. We just watch him hang out and swim and hang out with Mona, and then we learn that he's been on Mars for a little over four months. I gotta stop you for one Yeah, moment. yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was mistaken. The actor oh. playing Friday is the first on-screen Klingon, not oh. the main character. So, so this is an actor of color. So he was not in blackface. I guess is the big <laughs> thing because that's if if you don't know this, the Klingons in the original Star Trek basically just look like guys in blackface. It, yeah, it got with, better with, as the other Next Generation um, uh, Search for Spock. The Klingons started looking a lot better. But yeah. <laughs> so, so what's the first Klingon episode? Oh, Errand of Mercy. Errand of Mercy. Yeah, I just I just found that as well. Okay. Yeah. I don't remember that episode. No, like I said, Klingons either. did not leave a lasting impression on me. I was more into the salt vampire. The salt vampire. And, yeah. and the Gorn. I mean, the Gorn is the best thing ever. And the, the, and Gorn, the, lava. the Gorn is The Gorn is kind of a most dangerous game sort of thing, a little bit. Maybe it not. It is, yeah. Yeah. A, t- a tiny bit.
So, Jim, what did you think of Robinson Crusoe on That's Mars? fantastic, yeah. Uh, let's talk more about Star Trek. <laughs> no, 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 I mean, I'm, well, I mean, you know, there isn't that much to say about this. No, movie, no, because like, not much really goes on. I mean... It's slow. Yeah, it, it's, like, almost unbearably slow, actually. It it was. I remember, I remember enjoying this movie when I first saw it. I do remember that. I really think it's for the aesthetics alone having seen it the second time because i you know, like i said i didn't hate this movie my goodness is it slow is it dry and it's like i'll take that in like a hyper realistic science fiction which mm-hmm. obviously this isn't or maybe i'll take that in like a 2001 where maybe it's not hyper realistic yeah. but it's just this like but it's interesting the filmmaking just is the filmmaking is just so above and beyond fantastic that like you can't take your eyes off it and this isn't yeah. that it's it's got some good cinematography though i love the colors yeah i, I love all the shots i mean because i they filmed the majority of this in death valley right all of that's beautiful watching okay. Uh, okay. kit walk around and whatnot just to kind of wrap this movie up, because again, there isn't much else to say about it. No, that's fine. That's fine. He finds he, he finds the skeleton eventually with a bracelet, and he's like, "Oh, that's crazy! It looks like this guy was murdered. I'm gonna blow up my ship that's still in orbit, so possible aliens don't find me." And shortly after he does that, these alien ships show up and start bombarding the planet. And then he runs into this other alien who's also wearing a bracelet, and they become friends. And this is the guy he names Friday, who happens to be like. An alien, alien slave. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's an alien, alien slave, or an aliens, alien slave. He's. It's like in Phantasm. It's like the dwarves. They're. That's exactly slaves. it. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly it. Yeah. So Kit and Friday start hanging out and farming together, and Kit eventually starts bumming these oxygen pills off of Friday, who doesn't need oxygen. He just pops these oxygen pills. Right. But that's only after. Friday takes Kit to this like a, a destroyed slave encampment because mm-hmm. I don't know I, I this really goes nowhere. You just learn that the aliens are really shitty beings and they treat slaves really poorly. As which well. you know they're they're <laughs> you know? firing you know they're they're shooting at the yeah I think we kind of figured these are bad guys to begin with. But again, re- worth reiterating, these are the reused effects from Byron Haskins' other classic science fiction film, The War of the Worlds. <laughs> which is a great movie and it's much better than this not, again not to hate on this movie that much it's reasonably good no uh, it's uh, not uh, that the, enjoyable not that entertaining no and the only selling point on it really is the aesthetics and again it's that like yeah yeah it's all the colorful stuff all the interesting stuff to look that's at part that's... of what i enjoy about like let's say again the original star trek series so much of the execution of that show is pathetic. It's embarrassing. <laughs> the the uh, action scenes, like the fight scenes, when it's like very clearly a stunt yeah. double because William Shatner had it in his contract that he wasn't able to like get up when he was on the ground because they use stuntman for like everything, and it's always these long shots, so you can easily tell it. Yeah, execution of that show is embarrassing, and what carries it for me because I'm like interested in these like colors and this '60s imagination of what the future would look like or what space in you know alien worlds looks like. For me, what what really works about that show consistently is just the look of it like there's that episode where they're like in the cave and then there's everything's like really bright and colorful there and it's like i don't know i like that stuff i do this movie you know it's ambitious enough it's um gotta i i just think it it bit off maybe a little bit more than it can chew because it's largely a one-man drama and that's that's difficult storytelling to make compelling i mean we've we've seen it happen you know castaway is a very good movie 
you know, it, it's not like it hasn't worked, but it's not exactly easy. Uh, sorry, I was just looking something up here because I wanted to read you this thing I found on Wikipedia because that's one of my main sources of information, I guess. And uh, and you're you're is... the one who studied history, just I... <laughs> yeah. I didn't use it for that. Thank you very much. Well, yeah, no, I don't think we've got you know journals of the people that worked on robinson crusoe on mars i don't think we have a no. lot of primary sources exactly oh you know also let me just finish the, this did the monkey quick. keep a journal <laughs> yes the long and short of it is kit and friday have to leave their cave that they've been living in together because the aliens are tracking friday with his bracelets right so eventually kit saws both the bracelets off with some wire and mm-hmm. then they find themselves in the canals of Mars underground, and they have to go to the surface. Right. They find themselves at the at the North Pole, and they're terribly thirsty. It looks like they're going to die. They find water. Then they have to live in snow, and that's freezing. They've got a little igloo, but then an asteroid hits and buries them in snow, and it looks like they're about to die. But just as it looks like they're about to die, this big fireball goes off from, I guess, like another asteroid, and it warms them up, and they're like, oh, thank God, we're not going to die now. And now the aliens can't track us because you have you don't have either of your bracelets on. This is great. And then there's another alien ship approaching because Kit has, like, this radar thing. He thinks it's the aliens coming back, but it turns out it's an Earth ship. It's a ship sent from Earth to look for Kit or any survivors. And they're like, woohoo, yeah, we're, gonna, we're, we're free, we're free. We're going to go home to America. And Friday, you're coming with me, man Friday. <laughs> yeah, then they enslave Friday, probably. Yeah. <laughs> we know, we know <laughs> yeah. how Earth's history works. He's an exhibit at a zoo somewhere. I mean, probably. yeah, well, there's a really weird part in the movie, like right after they meet each other and Friday goes to Kit's cave and he's like, and Kit goes, oh, you're a slave. Remember, I'm the boss. I'm the boss. Don't you ever mistreat me because I'm the boss. I'm like, oh my God, relax. You just found out that this guy's people are being murdered by aliens and that they're a race enslaved. And you're like, listen here, you son of a bitch. (laughs) Don't you ever double cross me. I'm the boss. (laughs) It's like the Twilight Zone episode, The Little People, if all of a sudden Claude Aikens also became evil. And he he didn't gain any sympathy for the little people that were enslaved by his partner. He just immediately started being like, yeah, you guys suck. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of the end of it, isn't it? Well, and he, here's this weird quote I found that I'm going to read out to you. And okay. it's from the director. So Byron Haskin told interviewer Joe Adamson, he goes, Robinson Crusoe on Mars was so obviously a director's tour de force that there was okay. nobody to interfere and tell me how to shoot. Okay. I can't think of any other film I've made unless it was The War of the Worlds where I had such complete autonomy that I had as much genuine pleasure and fulfillment from as Robinson Crusoe on Mars. It was as fulfilling as cinematography had ever been. Everything I set out to do, I accomplished as well as one possibly could. Okay. We made exploratory trips into Death Valley, and I conceived a key to credible... What? Uh, okay, no, hold on, hold on. No, <laughs> it sounds pretty proud of his freaking yeah, yeah 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 there's some big words here yeah everything i set out to do i accomplished as well as one possibly could we made exploratory trips into death valley and i conceived a key to credible verisimilitude verisimilitude okay yeah. <laughs> thank you that yes verisimilitude you're right verisimilitude okay this guy's a little little yeah he's uh, a little full of himself a little I would have, Scottish. I would abandon shots from the valleys, make them from up on the ridges. Death Valley had been seen in hundreds of westerns, but they were all shot from the bottoms of the canyons, because that's where horses could gallop through. On the top of these weird-looking ridges of marshmallow sands, the vista was something else. It looked like another planet. 
Certainly not Death Valley. Additionally, I conceived making the blue skies red. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, okay, so this guy thought he was hey, directing like... Hey, I think that like, like, works. I think the sky stuff works. I'll, I'll give him The that. sky stuff works, but the way he's talking about this movie, it sounds like he thought he was directing something akin to like Lawrence of Arabia. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, it does sound like that. Yeah, so the, okay, so first of all, I'll agree with him in one thing in that, and it has nothing to do with the director's autonomy, but... I also cannot think of another film he's done other than The War of the Worlds, so I'll give him that. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I literally cannot name another movie this guy's done. Maybe, I mean, (laughs) 11 years in between, I'm sure he made a bunch of movies. Um, I don't know if he was, like, always science fiction. I mean, the two movies I know of him doing are science fiction. So as for the, like, the director's vision thing, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and say, yeah, this probably didn't have a lot of studio interference because they probably would have told him to make it less boring. Yeah, you know, well, maybe I, have something happen. Maybe just make the monkey a boy. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like down to there. Don't make him wear a diaper. To, yeah, I thought about that. Cover up his his boy parts. Just, yeah, I thought about that. I was like, boy. what if they just didn't want to show monkey penis on screen? It could be. Yeah, I mean, it could. Yeah, who knows? The censors just weren't ready for that. I don't. I don't know. The American public were not ready for that. <laughs> They're ready for King Kong in nineteen. Well, I don't think King Kong has. I mean, King a... King Kong takes the clothes off the woman. I don't think you see his junk in that no. movie. <laughs> Not that I recall. We, the audience, didn't see it, but uh, Faye Ray certainly did. The one thing I will say about this movie, like a definite positive, is that the sets all look really neat. Yeah. All of them really interesting. Like near the end, when they're like at the North Pole and they find that pool of water and on top of it is floating like rocks or something like that, it, it all just looks really neat and interesting. It's all, mm-hmm. you can kind of bathe in each set, in each set piece. Like it, it all is really oh. gorgeous. What the but, bathing? What? <laughs> what, what? Where are you going with this? What, what are we doing? <laughs> you know what I mean. You know what I mean. You know no, what I, mean? I, I don't think I do. You can just yeah. soak hey, it in. Know. You can just soak okay, it all soak in. Okay, soak it in. Sure. I can soak it in. Like bathing. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't bathe, first of all. But um, yeah. Yeah. I, I, You're dirty. Yeah, I, do, I do agree. I like the sets. I like the, you know, the Death Valley stuff. Sure. It works. It's alien enough. I mean, it's, yeah. this doesn't like, because we've all seen low budget movies, low budget, more modern movies where, you know, alien landscapes is just the desert in California. And they do things with this, even with the sky to make it feel more alien than just shooting in a desert. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate that. So that stuff all works pretty well. I, I It's really just, there's not a whole lot to the story. I think, um, because early on, this movie seems like it has, like, very serious stakes, you know, when it's like, okay, the oxygen, like, okay, what's he going to do? And then for a while, it's just, then after the, he solves a few problems, then the movie kind of just meanders for a bit. And then yeah. we throw aliens at us, like, like we need a threat all of a sudden, but the alien threat isn't even that well developed. It seems like they could have done so much more with that, like, actually have those aliens approach kit or you know have them sure be shown on screen other than through that little like television thing that kit was watching you know because that's where you see these aliens they're wearing like their own spacesuits or whatever carrying alien Mm -hmm. guns and it's like how come we didn't see them for the rest of the movie was it like budget or was it just not written into the script was it what was going on there fair question yeah those are all yeah that's i i don't know what to tell you i mean and then even on top of that i actually wrote this down when i was watching it at the 17 minute and 30 mark very specific. Kit gives like a recap. He gives a recap for the audience to explain what's happened. And it's like... 17 minutes in is a bit early for that. Yeah, and it's also like nothing has happened, though. You have found some rocks. You have found we a cave Adam to live West. in. 
we no, Adam West. Was? I don't think. Yeah, Adam that's West right. We don't have confirmation point. that he's dead at that point. He's just not in the movie. Yeah, that's yeah. Fair. K- kids sit in there. He's like, oh, I'm going to go find Adam West in the next couple days. I'm running out of oxygen. I've got about 50 hours left. This is now, why would, we had to would abandon this our movie ha- Would this movie have been better if Kit was played by Burt Ward? <laughs> Burt Ward. Uh, yes. I'm going to say yes. I think we could have gotten some great holy lines in there about like, holy oxygen rocks, Batman. You know, we could have gotten some stuff like that. It could have been fun. Yeah. (laughs) Holy monkey paw. That's a monkey. I don't know. Holy shit, Batman. You're dead. (laughs) Holy King Kong penis. (laughs) Put your... (laughs) Put your fur diaper back on, Barney. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So... So what did you think of this movie overall? I mean, we talked about a lot of negatives, a few positives. Like, did you enjoy it? Would you see it again? You know what? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I think okay. I would watch it again, only out of curiosity, I guess, just to watch it again and, and just to pay more attention to the Where does the curiosity come the in on the second viewing? Because I feel like curiosity is a great reason to see something a first time, not as compelling on a rewatch. You You're right. I, mean? I, I guess it's not curiosity. I guess it's more just I want to see those sets again and i want to pay more attention to to what's going on instead of the story because the story is so boring and i I don't know it's just it's just too boring the the only way to see the movie would be if you wanted to see it for the sets and the cool 60s sci-fi stuff yeah this is barbarella without the sexiness and without the weirdo like hippie philosophy I tend to enjoy Barbarella because of it. It's like this weird 60s, like fantasy, sci-fi, colorful thing. But it's also entertaining because it's like this weird hippie philosophy where they try to kill this woman by orgasm, but she's too (laughs) sexually charged that that it won't kill her or something. I mean, that's Barbarella's, you know, it's something else. But yeah. Yeah. So I, yeah, because I have seen this movie more than once now, obviously. And I'm going to say two times is enough. I don't regret having seen it a second time. I didn't enjoy it as much as I remembered it. But yeah, I'm I'm not itching to see this one a third time. No, and I I, I totally get that because I'm again I'm still on the fence if I want to see it a second time. It was also relatively long. It was close to two hours, I think. Yeah, I, I think it was 50, shorter than 55. King Kong, right? Was it? Oh, well, King Kong has two different lengths, first of all, because we didn't mention this, and I don't know which version you saw, but some versions of it have an overture at the beginning and some don't. So it's a difference of like three minutes probably, but King Kong's like an hour 45, I think, an hour 40, I think. Yeah, and I think I think this was an hour 49, Yeah, I think, because I was watching this on YouTube. Yeah, King, King Kong, I'm seeing 100 minutes and 104 minutes with overture. Uh, Robinson Crusoe, I am seeing... 110 minutes so yeah an hour 50 that's what i was thinking yeah a little long a little long yeah it, it really does feel like it's 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 runtime and then some. i think you can i think you can make a, a more entertaining 90 minute movie and out of this I, I i do agree with that yeah there's definitely a lot of like walking stuff you can cut of kit just traipsing around mars sure you know there's i don't know there's just so much stuff that <laughs> doesn't happen you know like <laughs> just get it out of here just stop it just sit down and do something interesting i don't know yeah or just give us more adam west switch the actors have adam west be the one that lives because i want to hear more of his voice his <laughs> sexy smooth voice would he have been filming batman at the no time this of... is pretty i think batman 66 batman 66 i think star trek 67 so the batman and star trek were more or less contemporaries batman's a little later than this i believe 
Could be wrong. But I think most television in 64 would have still been black and white, and Batman never was black and white, to my knowledge. That would make sense. Well, uh... Yeah, I guess we're done with that. So what were your final thoughts? I guess we already ran through them, so... Yeah, you know, <laughs> I, um... Not the... I, it's, it's a better movie than it is entertaining, if that makes sense. It's a more interesting yeah, it, it, film it's than technically, it is fun. It's technically better than it is entertaining. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a good way to put it. It's not a bad film, but it's also not that entertaining of a film, and that's really where I stand on it. Yeah, I'm pretty much on the, on the same page as you, yeah. So, perhaps a predictable answer to this question, but which... Of these two films, King Kong and Robinson Crusoe on Mars, do you prefer? Man, I don't even have to answer that. <laughs> you know, you know which one. <laughs> Definitely King now, Kong. Now, which, which is drier? Is it Robinson Crusoe on Mars or Peter Jackson's King Kong? That's oh, that's going that to be Robinson Crusoe on Mars. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah, so I, I also prefer King Kong. 1933 King Kong, definitely. Better movie, more entertaining, better pace... More overall, more entertaining. Both movies are, you know, influential or, or impressive for their special effects, but King Kong even more so. And not just because it's older, just, you know, because giant apes are, they're fun. Yeah, I totally agree. So do you think these would work as, as, a, as a double feature? Oh, boy. Um, well, let's see. So we've got ape slash monkey in both. And that's kind of it. That's kind of all we've... I mean, they're both adventure films. They're both yeah. adventures in fantastical places. They're both the questionable depictions of native races, I guess. <laughs> Neither yeah. films pass the Bechdel test. No. I think there's one woman in... Well, there's a few women that get sacrificed, I guess, in King Kong. But there's basically one woman that speaks. Well, no, there's because the lady that doesn't yeah, know she, what show she's going to. There's a few ladies in the Broadway scene, come to think of it. The movie there's might, the native lady that screams at her Yeah, baby. no, the, the, the movie might backdoor a Bechdel test passing in there in, in when it's possible in Broadway that that two women talk to each other. It's That's possible. Although they might still be talking about Kong, in which case they're talking about a male. So in that case, it would not <laughs> pass the Bechdel test. But yeah, this movie, no women. Robinson Crusoe. Um, I'm going to say no, not a great double feature. I think I would match up Robinson Crusoe as the more boring first part of like a Barbarella double feature. I think that could be interesting. But yeah, King Kong, it's too good of a movie to sully with um, Robinson Crusoe on Mars. It's too exciting of a movie, I'll say, because it's, again, Robinson Crusoe is not a bad movie, but following up that rip-roaring adventure with this <laughs> bit of a slog is, is, is unfortunate. Jim, what about you? Yeah, I, you know, I totally agree with you. I think, what's it called again? Oh, yeah, Robinson Crusoe on Mars. I know, it rolls off the tongue. That title. <laughs> I wanted to call it The Martian. It's um, right up there with Sorority movie. Babes and the Slimeball Bolorama and the movie that you don't believe exists, <laughs> Slave Girls from Beyond Infinity. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It's a great yeah. film. It doesn't exist. Um, it, it exists. Oh, I've seen it. It exists. <laughs> and we'll see it, too. Yeah, I'm sure place. I'll see it. Yeah, it, it, it's just too boring. Robinson Crusoe on Mars. It's just, like, if you if you start with King Kong, it will just absolutely destroy the momentum of that evening for a it double ruins feature. the goodwill of, of Kong, yeah. Yeah, and then if you start it with, with Robinson Crusoe on Mars, you just want to go to die. bed. Oh, yeah, yeah or die. Like, yeah, either, no, either die, or. dies a bit, dies a bit extreme, but yes. <laughs> but yeah, you just want to close your eyes and have a nap after you finish Robinson Crusoe. It's just, 
There's just not like, and again, I don't want to say, say there's nothing there because it's an interesting movie and it's, oh, yeah. it's, it's aesthetically interesting, sure. but when it comes to the script and everything happening in it, it's just too dry and boring. And I feel a bit less bad about not loving this movie so much now that I've heard of the director speak and he's. Yeah, he yeah, sounds yeah, yeah. just way too full of himself, you know. As soon as I read that, I was like, well, okay, fuck this guy. <laughs> I don't have to like his movie. <laughs> yeah, well, like Ridley Scott, his films also make me want to fall asleep, so <laughs> Unless it's unless it's two fastbender bots playing the flute. I like War, that. <laughs> War of the Worlds though. War of the Worlds is a very good movie. I'll give him credit for that. That's one of the best fifty sci fi movies, and of course I'm a big fifty sci fi fan. So on that note, We've got a 50 sci-fi film coming up next week. and Oh, my God. It's another giant monster movie because we've got Godzilla Raids Again, the first Godzilla sequel, the film that pits Godzilla against Anguirus, one of his least worthy foes, I'll say. It's not the best (laughs) fight. I mean, it's a fun fight, but yeah. Godzilla versus, or excuse me, Godzilla Raids Again, also known in the English dub as Gigantus the Fire Monster. Which is just an unfortunate <laughs> title, but yeah, we're doing the we're doing the the um, Japanese version, the subtitled version, of course. Although we do, because I've already recorded that episode with my friend Sean, we do discuss the dub of that one because he had seen that a bunch of times, and we're following that up with Killing American Style, the 1988 <laughs> action crime hostage movie from director Amir Shervan of Samurai Cop fame, and starring Robert Zadar of samurai cop fame as well as maniac cop <laughs> you know zadar had the he's zadar is one of the all-time great you know b-movie masters you know he's the uh he's great great heavy you know the great bad guy type and he you know he's a compelling performer in that film so those two movies like i said me and my friend sean are going to be talking about those and until then you know feel free to follow us on twitter at drive in podcast also we're on Patreon, patreon.com slash revenge of the drive-in. We Give will have us been money. Patreon for <laughs> quite a while at this point, but this is the first episode we're recording since I've set that up. So this is the first time mentioning it in an episode. But yeah, we've got early access to episodes and trailers on there. We've also got commentary tracks. We did a commentary track on Saw. We're about to do a commentary track on the 1999 film The Mummy, starring Brendan fraser crane <laughs> shut up <laughs> yeah so i mean by the time this episode comes out that commentary track will already be out but we're going to try and do commentary tracks once or twice a month i think so we'll see you there and we'd love to hear from you tune in next week for godzilla raids again and killing american style i'm since i'm not in that i'll say uh till next time everybody see you when i see you until friday the 13th part three and the prowler that is oh that's right yes <laughs>